you need a Bible, raise your hand. John will get you one. Uh, sorry to interrupt Jan back there, but... Uh, <laughs> so funny. Hey, where does Esther fall in the Bible? Do you guys remember this? Say it again. After Kings, okay, yeah, it does follow after the Kings, that's right. Uh, you know, here, here's what you can do. You could uh, uh, turn uh, right over uh, to chapter 6 and chapter 7 of, um, of um, Ezra, and it's right in that area that Esther happens. Isn't that fascinating? So here's my point in telling you this. If you don't know Ezra and Nehemiah, you'd have a little bit of problem uh, understanding where Esther fits in because we're dealing with the Babylonian exile, which turned into the Persian exile, which means that the Israelites were taken up to Babylon and lived there for 70 years or so, but 70 years. And then the king of Persia, Cyrus, after seeing his name in the Bible being prophesied about, said, oh, okay, I'm going to let the... Jews go back and build their temple. And so they go back and start to do that in Ezra. And Nehemiah is the book in which they go back and build the walls and the foundation. But God, listen to this, isn't it amazing? God didn't just take care of the returning exiles, but he still took care of the exiles who remained in the Persian Babylon area, and that's the book of Esther. That's amazing, folks. And last week, we did chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Esther. And one of the things that we concentrated on is what is the providence or sovereignty, providence of God. You remember this? And I read you uh, several quotes and uh, um, um, you know, thoughts by some pastors about what uh, this attribute of God is. Uh, uh, providence. Here, I'll just read a couple to refresh our memory. By the way, we had an amazing um, <clears throat> reaction to that sermon. I had several people come up to me and talk to me about just the little things that have happened in their life or lives that they recognize now as being by the hand of God. Sometimes, or a lot of times, when we don't think anything's going on spiritually, God is in the shadows, so to speak, or in the background. He really isn't, but, he, you know, we don't see him that much. And so he's, he's right there orchestrating even our choices that we make. And remember, Daniel, he and his buddies, we always raise them up and hold them up as amazing Christian guys because as soon as they got into the enemy camp, they stood up for the Lord. And yes, they are. That's amazing. But remember... Esther and Mordecai, just as effective, God gets his purposes done in the book. In fact, saves the annihilation of the Jews, the Jewish people. And Esther and Mordecai hide their Jewishness for a while. Isn't that fascinating? And I'm not saying Esther or Mordecai were um, unfaithful or anything like that. But sometimes, you know, it's just... 
when the Holy Spirit leads, you come right out there and you just, you're very bold. And sometimes not that you hide or deny the the name of the Lord, but sometimes you just let the Lord work in situations. And that's what these two books, I think, show you, especially Esther. There's this one uh, verse in 2 Timothy 2. It says, when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, man, Esther does that for me or tells me that again and again and again. Again, not that they were faithless denying the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But even some of the choices that were being made, maybe not the best choice or the first choice, God still used it. So what is providence? Remember we said this last week, God's activity through history in providing for the needs of human beings, especially those who follow him in faith. Remember that? And God's gracious oversight of the universe. One uh, pastor has written in that he upholds all things. He governs all events. He directs everything to its appointed end. He does this all the time and in every circumstances, and he does it all for his own glory. And we have seen in the book of Esther, God used the choices of a pagan heathen king who wanted his wife to dance in a highly suggestive way during their feasts and festivals, that God took that and used it and turned it around and got the queen that was necessary to be in power with the king in power. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, well, that's fascinating. And, and so last week we, we talked about that, and she actually, Esther, becomes the queen. She's Jewish. Think about it. She's Jewish, and she's in the land that is dominating the ancient world, including the Jewish area or the land of Israel, uh, and, and oppressing them and, and taking their taxes and doing all that sort of thing, and yet she becomes the queen. And we saw that. We saw that her relative Mordecai, remember this? He is in the city gate, and he uncovers a plot that uh, some of the king's inside people are going to assassinate the king. So Mordecai saves or diffuses that plot and saves the king. But listen, by chance, I'm putting quotes around it because it wasn't by chance, they enter it into the book of the Chronicles of all the things that happened in the kingdom, and then they forgot about it. And God used that choice or that thing that happened to eventually get the queen in power, and to save the life of the man who saved the life of the king. And if it didn't happen that way, it wouldn't have happened. And so we see in chapter 3 last week that this evil guy named Haman becomes the, basically the prime minister to the king. Remember, Haman's an Agagite, which is an Amalekite, and they really ticked off the Lord. Lord's anger really burned against the Amalekites uh, because when they were uh, uh, coming out of uh, 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 you know, the land of Egypt, the Amalekites tried to pick off the lame and the poor people as the whole multitude of Jewish people were walking and wandering in the wilderness there. And God didn't forget it. In fact, he said to King Saul several years later, I want you to wipe out all the Malachites. And remember, he wasn't obedient. He didn't do it. 
In fact, when he came back, Samuel said, how come, you know, the Lord told you to wipe everybody out, but I hear the bleating with a T of the sheep. And remember, he saved or didn't uh, uh, um, uh, take out the king either. Remember this. And some years later, when Saul was uh, in battle and ready to die and did die, one Amalekite said it was um, him who had struck through the king. And so we know that the Amalekites are always a picture of the flesh. We're called as Christians to either to walk in the spirit, and we are either walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit, and that's a picture of it. And the Lord asks us to crucify the flesh totally, and that's one big picture. But last week we saw that Haman, this one, this Amalekite, he uh, dupes the king into signing a law that says, okay, because, uh, we're going to wipe out all the Jewish people and all the lands that we rule one year forward from now. And the reason he did this is because he became so mad and angry at Mordecai, the relative of Esther, who was the one who actually saved the king's life. Now, hope you're with me. Because uh, here we go in chapter 4. Verse 1, it's the word of the Lord. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, what had happened, he's learning about all of these things, uh, this edict, this law that's going out that the Jews will be killed one year hence. When he learns of this, he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry, and he went as far as the front of the king's gate. You know why he didn't go into the king's gate? Because the king was seen somewhat as a deity. And the king didn't want any, um, uh, and to speak in modern parlance, bad vibes inside the gates. It always had to be pleasant and good and pleasing to him. And so he didn't want any real problems or real sadness or real anything coming in there. So nobody could break that seal, so to speak. Time out little bit of a rabbit trail. But one of the ways you could look at Esther is a compare and contrast but contrast between the kingdom of God and man's kingdom. And here, nobody's allowed into the gate to get and to disrupt the king. Our king says, come as you are with all your hurts, healings, or frustrations, problems, uh, insecurities, uh, anger, bitterness. You come just as you are. And when you come and serve me, come in here with me. You'll be healed of your sins first, the most pressing need that you have, and then peace, joy, love. That's our king. And so as we go through this, remember that. You can compare and contrast. But this one, Mordecai, wasn't allowed to come through the city gate, just to the front of it, because he had sad clothes on, grieving clothes on. Verse 3, and in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen is deeply distressed, or was. Then she sent garments out to clothe Mordecai and to clothe. Uh, take his sackcloth away from him, but he couldn't accept them. She's like, what is he? I mean, I'm getting kind of bits and pieces. What's he so sad about? Get the guy some, get, get my you know, relative some new clothes. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her. And she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. 
So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. So he's being told everything uh, about the whole plot for the king to sign that decree so that the Jews would be annihilated and killed off one year after this decree went into effect. Verse 8, he also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther. Esther didn't know. Why wouldn't Esther know? You see something of her isolation. She was so isolated in the palace, and that's how the king treated his harem and his wives, that she didn't even know what was going on out in the world. That's how isolated she was. See that? So here, he, 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 she finds out, and it's explained to her that this command has gone on, uh, and she's and here in the middle of verse uh, 8, it says, and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's providence or provinces, know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, uh, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. I don't think she's really being unfaithful here. She's just telling the facts. Hey, Mordecai, I know what you want me to do. You want me to go talk, but you got to realize here, if I go in there and he hasn't asked me to come in, it could be this for me, curtains for me. Yet I myself have not been called to go in to the king these 30 days. See how isolated she is? She doesn't know anything about what's going on in the world. Uh, She hasn't seen uh, the king in 30 days. She's the queen. So they called Mordecai, or so they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Here he goes, right back. Here we go. Providence of God. Here it comes. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. In other words, when they find out you're Jewish, you're toast too, right, honey? <laughs> you know, that's what he's saying, honey, because he's the uncle or cousin or whatever, right? For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews. For, you getting this? From another place. But you and your father's house will perish, But you and your father's house will perish, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Probably the most famous verse out of the book. Well, listen to this. Do you know this? Warren Wearsby spells this out. There are these certain truths about God's providence. We see them right here in this little, these uh, couple verses. God has divine purposes to accomplish in this world. He's going to deal with the Jewish nation. He's going to deal with the Gentile nations. And he deals with the church. He he deals with individuals, with nations. And his purposes touch the lives, look at this, of kings, queens, commoners, godly people, and wicked people, folks. Nothing or no one in this world is outside the purposes of God. Did you catch what I just said? Nothing or no one is outside the purposes of God. Here's another thing these things talk to us. God accomplishes his purposes through people. Not sure why he does it, but he does, and you are people, right? We are people. God accomplishes his purposes through people. Even 
when wicked people do wicked things or faithful people do unfaithful things or make bad choices, good or bad, uh, Christians or non-Christian. He still works in and through unbelievers and his own per- uh, people. Uh, but listen, he's not the author of sin. He does not authorize sin. People have free moral will. God worked through the king's drunkenness in deposing Vashti. He uses king's loneliness to put Esther on the throne. We're going to see that. Or excuse me, and we're going to see in chapter 6, he uses king's insomnia or sleeplessness. Who has trouble sleeping? I do sometimes. <clears throat> yeah, and, uh, and then, look, the king could have, we'll see it in a minute, but the king could call ladies to his room. He could call, turn on the TV, the movies. I mean, he, he could do anything. But he chose for some reason that night to look in the book of Chronicles and have it read to him from the exact pages about Mordecai. So God uses people and the choices that people make. In great things and little things, God is sovereign. Here's another thing. God's going to accomplish his purpose even if his servants refuse to obey his will. If Esther rejected the will of God for her life, it says it right here. Mordecai says it. If, if Esther rejected uh, the will of God for her life, guess what would happen? Esther would be the loser. I want you to think about that because God would use somebody else to get it done. And yet she pressed into what he had for her, what he had for her. When, that's fascinating. Warren Wiersbe says this on this point. When we call for volunteers in the church, we sometimes give the impression that God's work is at the mercy of God's workers. But this isn't true at all. God will get his purposes done. If we cho- choose to refuse the things that God has for us, he'd just maybe uh, abandon us, not in the sense that he'd leave us, but just leave you to what you want to do and get somebody else to do the job. And we're going to lose the reward or the blessing. And there's several examples of that in the Bible. And the other thing this uh, tells us, uh, just through this story, is God isn't in a hurry like you're in a hurry to get his purposes done. (laughs) You know why? He waited until the third year of his reign to have Vashti deposed and uh, somebody else brought in, Esther. And he waited after she was taken off the throne, Vashti, after three years of him ruling, he waited four years, we talked about that last time, until Esther became queen. God doesn't always work on your timetable or my timetable. And so here you see this very telling thing. That's what this is saying in here. If you remain completely silent... Relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, and you and your house will suffer the consequences. You're still going to pass and die. Yet who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's not an accident that you're in this place. Isn't it, hey, guys, gals, isn't it beautiful to know that you know that you know that God has set you someplace for the purposes for which he's called you. And here's the funny part about that. <clears throat> you say, wow, yeah, but I hate my job or I hate this thing that I'm in. What, but, but listen, you are in the perfect place. Yes, God, you know, we'll use jobs for an example. Maybe you don't like your job. Yeah, but who else is going to be the light there until you get another job? You're going to be the light there 
if you're the only Christian. Do you understand? But, but listen, if you don't cooperate, you'll be out and somebody else will be in. And what the Lord is saying is not in a, uh, a, a mean way or a punishment way is while you're there, thrive there. Because I'm with you. This is all part of my sovereign providential plan is to have you here on this beachhead. Isn't that beautiful? Well, Esther then in verse 15 told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Now, I told you when we began, uh, it never speaks of God in this book and all kinds of things. And one of the things I said is it didn't, doesn't really talk of prayer. Well, yes and no. Here that we find that uh, Esther is... Uh, in touch with the Lord enough or so that she calls for a fast concerning this problem. And here's another place where you see, what's fasting all about? People make it so complicated. It's just to prepare our hearts for concentrated and humble prayer. When there's something that we have is of spiritual significance, you have a real problem in your life. You can't figure it out. And you want to pray and fast. Jesus said some of these things won't come out by prayer and fasting, right? Difficult, hard things. It's just you have something of spiritual significance, so you fast from something for a time, whether it be food or TV or your phone or whatever, so that you're not working according to the flesh, but you're pressing into the Spirit. You're pressing into the Spirit. And here she comes and she asked everyone to, to fast with her, and the maids and I will fast likewise. And I'm going to go to the king, which is against the law. <laughs> I can't just show up in the kingdom, she knows. Remember, if you compare and your contrast, the Bible tells us by the blood of Christ, listen to this. You, you read this and you go, wow. But when we have the privilege and the blessing to come right into the throne room any single, any time we want, any place we want, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can go to the throne room. We don't have to wait until he calls us. No, he is calling. He's saying, come, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. By the blood of Jesus, who's our great high priest, our great sacrifice, who lives to intercede for us. He paves the way into heaven for us. Isn't that a great thing? So we can do that. We can do that. In fact, uh, uh, John Newton wrote this, uh, Thou art coming to a king, large pet petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. We can go with, to the Lord with big things and little things and medium-sized stuff, with outrageous, amazing prayers that the Lord's putting on your heart and, and plead and ask with him and talk with him about them and, and, and thank him for the grace to be able to come there. But we can come anytime we want. They couldn't. Even the queen couldn't. She could have been killed for doing what she did. So Mordecai went his way and did all according to the, or did according to all that Esther commanded him. Now it happened on the third day. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Now, it happened on the third day. You know Numbers 32, 23 says your sin will find you out. Well, this is the chapter for that. On the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, uh, across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house. Now, I don't want to keep harping on this, but I do want to keep harping on this. She had to put on her royal robes and hope 
when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the royal robes get put on you and you don't hope you know where you're going right into the throne room. And here she gets the royal robes on. We have the royal robes of righteousness in the blood of Christ. And she faced the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Esther, Queen Esther, standing in the court. Here it comes. Here's the providence. You know what he could have done right there? Hey, I didn't ask for her. Kill her. But the Lord worked out his purposes through a king. And his choice to see his wife or his, yeah, his queen sorry, his queen, and to, to uh, buck tradition or the law of the time and just to have her find uh, an audience with him. And he saw the queen standing in the court. She found favor, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter. And then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter, and the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? You see the providence here? You see God moving in the little choices or the big choices and the faith of Esther? To, to go and to do. Now, why would she have faith? Let's think about this. Is this a blind faith? I don't think so. I don't think this is a blind faith, and I don't think God calls you to have a blind faith. You know why I don't think that? Because I know, and so do you, Genesis 12. You want to turn there? See, this would have been passed down through the Jews. They would know this. This was the the cornerstone. Now, Jesus is the cornerstone, but this is this is it, man, the Abrahamic covenant. This is it, the covenant that God has with our people. And you know that they passed this along. And when they got to Babylon, they still talked about this covenant that God made with Abraham. Listen to this. The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country. Where is he from? The Ur Chaldeans. He's moving into the promised land. God's calling him into the promised land. We're picking up the story when they've been ripped out of the promised land, and now they're returning. But here, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And folks, that was an, or is an everlasting covenant with Israel, with the people of Abraham. You get that? And so she's a, 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 a Jew... And she knows these things. So while she is, just like all of us, being cautioned but fasting, it's still a little unnerving to buck the system, to go against the king's law, and to walk up there when all he has to do is say, you know, run her through with a sword. And yet, inside, deep down, she knows that there has been this decree to annihilate the Jews. And she must have been, right, in the, in the fasting time, saying, Lord, but you've talked to our forefathers about bringing life and love and the way that, we, uh, that you want people to live through our people, the Jews, and oh, by the way, you'll curse those who curse us. It had to be in her mind. I don't think God calls us to a blind faith. He certainly didn't call her to a blind faith. You also know in 2 Chronicles, you, we all say it on the National Day of Prayer, if we'll just humble ourselves and pray 
and return to the Lord and these sorts of things. You, you know those scriptures, and she would have known them, and she would have known there was hope for her people through the Ab- Abrahamic covenant, uh, right? And she comes, and she says, what do you, or he says to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What's your request? I'm going to give you everything up to half the kingdom. <laughs> So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. And the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And at the banquet of wine, the king says to Esther, well, what is your petition? It'll be granted you. What is your request to half the kingdom? Well, it shall be done. Then Esther answered, said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the, let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. She knows the Lord's going to do something, but listen, there's still this problem she has, uh, and that's, uh, you know, if only the king would just recognize that Mordecai wasn't a bad guy. How in the world is that going to happen? I mean, just how in the world would that? So, so okay, let's have a second time together, uh, King and Haman. So come tomorrow, and we'll, we'll, I'll tell you what I want. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. Why was he joyful and a glad heart? Well, he's joyful and a glad heart because, listen to this, access, man. When, you, when your God is popularity and power and image, You like to be on the inside with important people, right? And here, how much more important could this be? The king and the queen have invited just me to a dinner. So he goes out and he's like, wow, she invited me back. This is amazing. This is amazing. So uh, when Haman saw Mordecai, though, in the king's gate, and they didn't stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. And this is an amazing little piece of scripture right here about idols. His idol, Haman's, and by the way, the fleshes will always lead you to this, is power and popularity. He has an idol. I want to be somebody who's recognized and known among people. And I mean, this one guy, one guy who won't stand for him brings him to the place of malice and anger and murder. And so what he wants to do is to prop up, look at this, prop up and build a fence around his idol so that no one will diss him, no one will disrespect him in any way because that cheapens or lowers who he is and what's important to him. Everybody tracking with me? And here he gets so angry. Listen, he didn't stand... Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and then sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh, and Haman told them of his great riches. This is like a sickening little verse right here. Look at this. So he's back at home, and man, he's been invited to the party with the king and the queen. Look, watch this. He says to his friends and his wife, oh, yeah, I'm really rich. Yeah, I have so many amazing children. Everything in which the king promotes me, I, I'm successful. <laughs> you ever been around somebody who brags like that? It's a real drag. If you are, stop it. No, I'm kidding. Everything in which the king had promoted and how he had advanced him above the officials. Moreover, Haman said, besides Queen Esther invited no one but me. Access, power, in the know. 
It can be an idol. To come in with the king to the banquet and that she prepared. And tomorrow I'm going to get invited by her along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And you could look at Ephesians 4, 30 through 32, Colossians 3, 8. The Lord tells us to get rid of this anger as Christians. Don't let bitterness or anger take any root, like just this much. Just, just this much. I'm talking about unrighteous anger. Not just this much, because what it can do is blow up into a full-blown thing, right? The Lord knows that. What happens when we're angry? We're walking according to the Haman spirit, right? More, right, you see? We're, we're walking according to the flesh. Did I say spirit? I meant the flesh. We're walking according to the flesh. Haman here he gets angry, and uh, he's propping up that idol. He doesn't want anything to happen to that idol. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, well, how about this? Let a gallows be made with 50 cubits high. That's like 75 feet. And in the morning, suggested the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, and then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Now, what they would do is they would impale people on these gallows. This isn't hanging here, probably. It's impale. They impale people. And these Persians really brought and knew how to torture and perfected torture. Well, that night the king couldn't sleep. Here you go. The providence of God in the small things, in the big things, in non-believers' lives, in believers' lives, even uh, something as, uh, uh, as funny as somebody who couldn't sleep. God uses all of these things for his purpose. And we're going to talk about uh, timeout. We've talked now at the, uh, yes, last week and at the beginning of tonight about what the providence of God is. When we get done here in just about 10 minutes, we're going to say, what, how does the providence of God impact us? But here, look at this. He can't sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. Now think about it. That guy had to go over to the bookshelf and there's probably a long history of Chronicles and he had to pick the right book. Not only did he have to do that, he was asked to read before the king. Eh, okay, let's open up here. God used that. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh. They were the two people, king's eunuchs, doorkeepers, who had sought to kill King Asarius. Then, verse 3, the king said, what honor and dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Hey, what did we do? Remind me again, because look, folks. That was, in, in their world, somebody who saved him from an assassination plot deserved lots of stuff, reward. So what do we do? It would be a shame. It would be shameful on the king if they didn't do something for him. What do we, what do, we do for them? So the king said, who is in the court? Or, so, so, excuse me. And the king's servants who attended said, nothing has been done for him. What? So he wants to remedy this. He wants to remedy this. And the king says, well, who is in the court? Now listen, Haman's been out building the gallows. And he must have taken all night. And here he is early in the morning. The king's in his bedchamber. He says, who's outside out there in the court? Is anybody up this early? Find somebody that I can trust, a counselor, and bring them in. It just so happens the prime minister's out there because he's been building the gallows. God's sovereignty, God's providence. Amazing, right? And so uh, 
Haman had just entered the outer court, and what was Haman doing? He was going to suggest to the king that they hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servants said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, well, let him come in. So Haman came in. Now catch it. The king's in his bedchambers. It's rare to allow anybody uh, audience with the king, but to bring them into the bedchambers, you know, Haman must have just been in his, you know, idolatrous self. Yes, man, do I have access. I must be important. And the king said, well, let him come in. And so uh, Haman came in and the king goes, hey, what shall be done for the man (laughs) whom the king delights to honor? An ambiguous question. Haman doesn't see it as an ambiguous question. Obviously, Haman's thinking, well, God wants to really bless me. But it's an ambiguous question in one sense because it doesn't have the name of the man that the king wants to honor. And Haman thought, well, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? That's what people like that think about. That's what prideful people think about themselves. That's what people who walk according to the flesh think about, folks, themselves. Those who walk according to the spirit, what do they think about? Others. So Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which is a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. That's verse 9. Now verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so. Can you imagine this scene? Wouldn't you want to be at this scene? And do so for Mordecai. Can you imagine the blood draining out of this guy? What are you talking about? Mordecai, the Jew who sits within the king's gates, It's funny, he says, the Jew who sits in the king's gate, did he forget about the law that he had signed? That's interesting. Haman had pushed this law through, and here he's saying, yeah, that Jewish guy that sits in the gates, had he forgotten about the law? Maybe, maybe not, but whatever. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe. Does God have a sense of humor or what? Arrayed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city square, proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. Did you catch that? It tells you something about people who are walking with God versus people who are walking not with God. Haman, or excuse me, Mordecai just went back to what he always does. It didn't, it, the fanfare, the clapping, the, 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 all the ceremony, it didn't impact him. He wanted to just honor the Lord. But for the one who has idols in their life, their idol is completely destroyed and broken down, and it renders them unable to even get out of bed, right? I mean, here he is. He just can't even move. He just goes home, mourns, and he's got his head covered over. And when Haman told his wife and all friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, listen, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. They knew that they were God's people. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. That's verse 14. So the king, chapter 7, verse 1, and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, 
What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let me my life be given at my petition and my people at my request. Now remember, one thing that you can do here is you can compare and contrast <clears throat> the kingdom uh, here uh, of Xerxes or Ahasuerus, a kingdom of the world versus God's kingdom. What does, what does the queen actually say? Well, if I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, how do we get to our king? It's not because we pleased the king. It's because Christ has found favor in his father's eyes. Do you want me to say that again? Yeah, I do too. See, this is why we praise. This is why we worship. This is why we are zealous. This is why we get out of bed in the morning. Here it is. It's not because we have to find favor in the eyes of the Lord, although the grace of God is unmerited favor, but we can approach the king because Christ has found favor with the Father. He laid down his life willingly. He did the will of the Father. He did the work of the Father, and the Lord is pleased with him. And and for those who are in Christ, listen, it's really an intimate relationship. Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. Romans 6, 7, 8. Isn't that beautiful? Not if I've found favor in your sight. I don't have to worry about it. My Lord has found favor, and I can come boldly to your throne room. So beautiful. And if it pleases the king, let my life be given at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, or for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, all the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. She's pretty wise. Did you see what she said? I wouldn't come to you if you just, it was just like selling us into slavery, but this is annihilation. So the king answered, verse 5, and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Remember, they're at a table eating. They're all together, three of them. You imagine how awful Haman or uncomfortable Haman must be feeling here. And Esther said, the adversary, verse 6, an enemy, is this wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. And when the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. (laughs) He's pleading for his life. Then the king said, the king's like, what are you doing? Will you also assault the queen while I'm in the house? It looked like you're trying to do something to her. Uh, one one uh, commentary or commentator says right here, the bully becomes a coward. The bully becomes a coward. Haman, the bully, becomes a coward. And that's what happened when we build our life on idols. Relationships, folks, can be idols. If you build your life on a relationship, I got news for you. They won't always work out. And even if you're in one, trust me, um, trust Jan, that's a better way of saying it. Even when in a good relationship, right, there are times when there's friction and stuff. And so if you're building your life on the relationship, if you're building your idols on the relationship, those will fail you. They're not always going to be perfect, although mine is. But, you know, I'm just saying. But you know what I mean? If you do it on work, what happens if the boss lays you off? Or somebody steals your work or does something and you get, a, you know, you get fired or whatever. You're, you, it could happen in this world. We, what, right? 
Or, or your kids can be an idol. Well, what happens if that doesn't go exactly right? But what if the Lord is the one that we give our glory to and all our worship? And then, of course, love appropriately on the horizontal, our family, and do the things at work. But when the Lord is really first, when these things go awry, so to speak, your whole world doesn't crumble because your whole world is already the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? Well, here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now, verse 9. Now, Harbanah, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. You know this, right? Several Proverbs. Proverbs 11, verse 8. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. Galatians 6, verse 7. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. And you can see that all throughout the Bible. A man will reap what he sows. That is a true thing. That is a principle of the Lord. Proverbs 22 Uh, Verse 8, he who sows wickedness reaps trouble. You say, well, okay, amazing. What is this telling us? Well, see, the thing that we're looking at here is the providence of God. What also we're looking at is uh, how God can work even in the free will choosing of men. You know, God's not bound by the choices we make. I mean, Do you get what I'm saying? We make choices and God's purposes still get done. Well, I I told you some other things about providence. One pastor said it's the sweet doctrine that God sovereignly works in and through everyday non-miraculous events of life to affect his will. And that's so true, right? You see that here in Esther. Here's another way to talk about God's providence. One uh, one pastor just... uh, 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 sums it up this way. The word providence means foresight coupled with activity. Foresight coupled with activity. God alone is able to act on the basis of foreknowledge. And the book of Esther sets forth two great doctrines, man's free will and God's absolute sovereignty. Both are at work here in Esther. But what does it mean for you? Why does it matter? Why is this book in here? Well, there's a lot of reasons this book's in here, but I want you to consider this. You know, if you focus on the providence of God, you can, the Lord will help deliver you from bitterness and anger. What do you mean? Well, you remember this in Genesis 50? We talked about this same story uh, in a sermon two weeks ago about forgiveness. Joseph, man, if anybody had the right to retribution in this world... <laughs> Joseph's one of them. (laughs) My bros, man, my brothers. I know I bragged a little bit about how much dad loved me and not you as much, but did you really have to throw me down the well and leave me for dead? I mean, if anybody had to be bitter, it was him, but not him, man. He said what you meant for evil, God turned around for good. When we think God isn't involved in our situation, That's why we get angry. You want me to say that one again? 
When we think God is not involved in our situation, that's when we get bitter and angry. But when we recognize even all the different things, I can't sleep, I can't do this, God must be doing something. It takes the sting out of our bitterness. You see that? What are some of the other things that providence to do uh, can do? Well, it can give you courage, the ability to keep going, a road forward, hope. Because even when life is doing all the things that life does, sometimes life feels like a, you're in a, a, a clothes dryer, doesn't it? Boom, 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 right? You guys have felt that. When life's tumbling all around, God's still provident. His providence doesn't answer for you or for me every question. You know that. I can't understand why somebody gets cancer or somebody dies other than that we live in a fallen world. And yet, listen, God's at work in the situation. He is at work. Why did that person get the bonus and I didn't? Why did they get the promotion and I don't? See, it gives you the sweetness and the courage to keep going in love because God's there with you. He's in the shadows, so to speak, but he is there. And he's working something out for his purposes. Well, what else does providence does? It keeps us on the road to faith, right? If you recognize God in the little things and in the big things, there's this thing that you do. You just keep placing him in faith. If I had time, and I don't, to tell you the story of this church and God's providence, and maybe we'd do that someday, you're, you'd, you'd be scratching your head. Did that really happen? I mean, my wife here, just, she was just telling me the other day, reminding me of the story. This building was for sale and was under contract, and her and my son were out at a basketball game. This is, this is Providence. They're out in the court time in Elizabeth, and they said, ah, let's just drive by one more time. Just one more time, a couple months after it had gone under contract. This is the Providence of God. And they drive by, and the for sale sign's gone. Why she did it, we don't know, but we do know, right? That's the Providence of God, and just little, and you have them in your life. Here's one. I'll leave you with this. We could keep going on the providence of God and what it does for you forever and ever, but you've got to track with me on this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to show you, actually I'm not, the Lord's going to show you the purpose of your life. Who here doesn't want to know the purpose of their life? Well, you go over to 1 Corinthians 6 and you find it. Go to verse 12. Ah, don't go to verse 12. Go to verse 18, I guess. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you, here it comes, here it comes. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Don't you know that? You're not your own. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart, your life. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and here it comes. You ready? I know the purpose for your life. Here it, here it is. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, what are you to do? Because you were bought at a price, you're to glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
There it is. I don't care what you do. Student, student, whatever, 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 whatever you are. You're to glorify God, make him massive, make you small, make him massive in your life, to give all glory to him and make him big. Now, why am I telling you that? Because the providence of God in this scripture are like this, intertwined. At some of the times that you think God is the farthest away, you're at a basketball game, you've given up hope of ever having this building, for instance. And you just say, ah, all right, I'll just drive by one more time. <laughs> she probably didn't say it that way, but you know what I mean. And she did, and then the Lord said it. At the time that you think the Lord might not even be doing anything or anything for you in any way, listen to this. He's setting something up for all the purposes that he has to move forward, which will ultimately culminate in him coming back in his second coming to judge. He came the first time in grace and mercy. He's coming back a second time in judgment. And why does the Bible tell us that he's waiting because he's interested in more people getting saved. Because his heart is that none would perish, but that all would have everlasting life, so that all people would be making, or as many people as possible would be making him big. So listen, so listen. So you think when the person slights you at work and talks to you in a poor way and makes you feel like an idiot, you think it's like some big slam to you or whatever, and it is kind of in a way, except for here's the problem or the point. It's God's providence. Maybe that person needs to see the love of Jesus return to them when they're being so ugly. Look, and your life, whether you're a businessman or you run kids around or I don't know, whatever it is, your life is to glorify God. And so the providence of God helps us to see and to stay joyful about all the things that come towards us. Because we know that it's our purpose, no matter what the circumstance, to glorify God. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see how providence, if you recognize all things come from God, or, or that, here's a better way of saying it, all things that come, God can use for his purposes and glory. It, 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 now listen, if you get in tune with that, like, you know, if you, I don't know anything about sailing, but I assume if you sail the wrong way, you're just not going to have very much success. But if you put up your sails and you run with the wind, you'll fly. That's providence and you and me. When we recognize these things, they are tribulations, they are trials. Count them all joy, he says, for his glory. Let's pray. Well, Lord, 
We thank you for your word, the book of Esther. Wow, what a book, Lord, that shows us that you are there getting your purposes accomplished no matter how we move or choose or whatever, Lord, your purposes will get done. And yet he chooses or you choose us to participate in this amazing program and this amazing gospel life, this gospel of freedom and love. You ask us to be a part so that we could glorify you. So, Lord, help us to remember these things of providence. Let's not just see things as coincidences or Murphy's Law. That's sheer stupidity when you're a Christian. Lord, help us to know these things and to see these things and to be blessed by these things and to come back to you and give you thanks for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.